building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. Just before we get into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our weekly devotional group. Just text the two words, Promise Keepers, to 31996. Every week you'll receive a challenging devotional that will inspire you to put your faith into action in the real world. Again, text Promise Keepers to 31996. And now, here's today's show. So we're going to talk to Dr. Gary Chapman, author of one of the most valuable books you can get, The Five Love Languages. And it's been an oft-misquoted, oft-mischaracterized book, but what an amazing book. And um, we're going to have a great conversation today. Uh, So let's get started. So Gary Chapman, uh, you've written one of the best-selling books in Christianity, and it's on something that men so desperately need to know. And I just can't wait to see what we're going to talk about today because, you know, this all sort of unfolds because I just think guys are going to need what you have to offer. And I I read one of your books last night, getting ready for this, and even I was sitting there knowing you, having read your stuff, having aha moments going, whoa, like, that's brilliant. What's it like to have that kind of an impact on the people of the church and to be used by the Lord that way? Is it just sometimes... Do you just feel overwhelmed with gratitude to him? Well, it's very humbling to realize how God has used uh, the Love Language book. Uh, you know, it's been published now, I don't know, almost 28 years or so. And every year it tends to sell more than the year before. And that doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, people ask me, how do I explain that? I say, well, the short answer is God. And the long answer is God. Mm. That's all I know. But I think because it addresses the deep human need for love, and almost everyone agrees, our deepest emotional need on the human level is to feel loved by the significant people in our lives. And if you're married, the most significant is your spouse. If you feel loved by your spouse, life is beautiful. Mm -hmm. But if you don't feel loved and you feel like they don't love me, they wish they weren't married to me, life begins to look rather dark. And I think a lot of the misbehavior in marriage grows out of the fact that people have what I call an empty love tank. They don't feel loved by the spouse. And this simple concept helps people do what they wanted to do when they got married, and that is to love each other and support each other. Uh, Nobody gets married hoping that they'll make each other miserable. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're in love at that stage, but uh, what no one told me is that that in-love stage as a two-year lifespan, average, and we come down off that high. And that's when the love language concept becomes extremely important. Because if you simply love your wife in the way she, in the way you want to feel loved, you're likely going to miss her because that's not going to be her love language. And you're sincere. In your mind, you're loving her, but she's not getting it emotionally. So, yeah, I, I've, I've just been greatly encouraged with the way God has used this. To really turn so many marriages around, if a husband and wife both gets this concept and learns each other's love language and applies it on a regular basis, it changes the whole climate. In fact, I, every time I do a marriage seminar, I have couples come up and say, Gary, that book saved our marriage. We were at the point of divorce. We read it. The lights came on, and it literally saved our marriage. 
So I want to get into that in detail in a minute. And especially it's one of those things, you know, where it becomes a cliche and people all talk about the five love languages and then they butcher what they actually mean. And so I want to get into what they actually mean, especially for a crowd that listens to this that's mostly men. And we know a lot of men don't read. I want to give them the chance to actually understand this before we're done. <laughs> but I do want to talk about how you got to this point because you've been a marriage and family counselor for like, what, five years now? <laughs> uh, yeah, plus about 35 or so. <laughs> <laughs> so you've seen the ugly. You've had people in your office. You tell some stories about stuff that's like, holy cow, how do you even survive with each other? You've seen everything there is before you ever wrote this book. You had this huge foundational understanding of marriage is both good and bad. Yeah, I really discovered this concept over a period of time in my counseling with people. Uh, when I really began to realize that what makes one person feel loved doesn't make another person feel loved. And I knew couples were missing each other. I remember the first time I encountered this. A couple came in. I'd never met them. I found out they'd been married to each other for 30 years. And they sat down, and the wife said, Dr. Chapman, let me just tell you a little bit about us before we start. She said, I just want you to know we don't argue. We don't believe in arguing. We don't have any money problems. She said, I was reading that money's the biggest problem in marriage. She said, not for us. And she went on with two or three more positive things, and I was beginning to wonder, did they come in here to tell me what a good marriage they have? <laughs> but then she started crying, and she said, the problem is I just don't feel any love coming from him. She said, I'm just empty. And she said, I don't know how long I can go on like this. Well, I looked at him, and he said, I don't understand that. I do everything I can to show her that I love her. And yet she sits there and tells you what she's been telling me, that she doesn't feel loved. And he said, I don't know what else to do. I said, well, what are you doing to show your love to her? He said, well, I get home from work before she does, so I start the evening meal. Sometimes I have it ready when she gets home. If not, she'll help me, and then we eat. And after we eat, he said, I wash the dishes. And every Thursday night, I vacuum the floor. And Saturdays, I wash the car and mow the grass, and I help her with the laundry. And he went on, and I was beginning to wonder, what does this woman do? You were starting to feel like a bad <laughs> husband at that point. <laughs> and he said, I do all of that. And she says she doesn't feel loved. And uh, I, I could tell he was sincere, you know. And look back at her, and she said, Dr. Chapman, he's right. He is a hard-working man. But we don't ever talk. We haven't talked in 20 years. He's always mowing the grass, washing the dishes, vacuuming the floor, always doing something. And we don't ever talk. And I knew this guy's sincere. He loves his wife, but she wasn't getting it. So that was my first encounter with this reality, that you can be sincere, expressing love in your way, but not connecting to the other person. So after that, I heard similar stories over and over in my office, and I knew there had to be a, a pattern to this thing. So eventually what I did was sit down and read several years of notes that I wrote when I was counseling and ask myself, when someone said, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me, what did they want? What were they complaining about? And their answers fell into five categories. And I later called them the five love languages. And then I started using it in my counseling. You know that if you want her to feel love, you've got to learn her love language. You've got to express love in her language. If you want him to feel love, you've got to speak his language. 
and I would help couples discover each other's language and challenge them to go home and try it. And sometimes they would come back in in three weeks and say, Gary, this is changing everything. The whole climate's different now. And then I started using it with small groups of couples, and the same thing would happen. So probably it was five years after that. I'd been using it for, oh, five to seven years before I ever wrote the book. And I thought, if I could put this concept in a book and write it in the language of the common person, leave out the psychological jargon, maybe I could help a lot of couples that I would never have time to see in my office. So that's what motivated me to write the book. Was that tempting to get into all the psychological stuff and not just stick to what you observed? Well, you know, it wasn't so tempting for me because I never really have uh, gotten into the psychological terminology that much. I mean, I studied all that stuff, you know. But people are hurting. They want, They don't want technical academic terms. You know, they want to talk in plain, plain English. And uh, if I have a gift, it's taking things that are complex and trying to make them simple so people can understand them and then apply them. And what about trauma and um, bitterness and betrayal and those things? Do those change how you approach this? Is it, do they change the, the way the love language works, or is it all sort of the same thing, just those are extensions? Well, I think, I think those things have to be dealt with when they're not to be ignored, and it depends on what they are. Sometimes if there's been a fractured relationship for 15 years, uh, simply reading the book and starting to love each other, it may not necessarily uh, connect with them because they've got all this hurt inside. So it might have to start with apologizing for past failures and then uh, begin to speak the love languages. So we have to start where people are and deal with their felt need at the moment. But underneath all those felt needs, often it's the lack of love that, that's the root of all those things. So I want to get into the love language thing, and I want to come back to how do we apologize. Because I've often told men you know, over the years the, the three most viable words in marriage, and they all say, I know, I love you. It's like, no, I am sorry. My wife and I just celebrated our 30th anniversary, and I'm sorry is something I've used effectively many, many times. (laughs) And for some reason, it's really hard for men to to apologize or to at least apologize effectively. And I want to get into that, but I think probably first, what are the love languages? Give us like a sort of a breakdown of how you would – I bet you've done this a few times. I have done it a few times. (laughs) Uh, There's no particular order to these. Uh, but one is words of affirmation. You look nice in that outfit. Well, thank you. I really appreciate what you did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just looking for things in your spouse that you genuinely appreciate and verbalizing. Uh, you could also write the words. I guess you could sing the words, but it's using words. You know, there's an ancient Hebrew proverb that says life and death is in the power of the tongue. You can kill your spouse by the way you talk to her, or you can give her life by the way you talk to her. And for some people, words of affirmation is their love language. And if they are not affirmed by you verbally, they don't feel loved. I don't care how many you know, cars you're washing and, and all the other things you're doing. They, they don't feel loved. So 
Uh, that's one, words of affirmation. And you can focus not only on things they're doing for you, you can focus on the way they look, you can focus on their personality, you can focus on their character, you know, anything. Just Now, use, do love letters or little sweet texts, uh, is that in that category? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Sending a text in the middle of the day for no particular reason, just saying, I love you, honey. I'm, th- I'm just sitting here thinking about you and how much I love you. Whoa, if this is her love language, man. It's going to speak loudly to her. Now, and you talk in the book about the fact that there's a difference between words of affirmation and flattery. Yeah. And unpack that just a little bit because I think it's helpful for some men. The women need to feel this is authentic and real, not patronizing. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to be things that you genuinely do appreciate about them. Now, you know, I had a lady say to me, well, Dr. Chapman, I'd like to do that for my husband. But to be honest with you, I can't think of anything good to say about the man. (laughs) <laughs> I wow. said, I said, well, does he ever take a shower? <laughs> she said, well, yes. I said, how often? She said, well, every day. I said, if I were you, I'd start there. Honey, I appreciate you taking a shower. <laughs> I said, there are men who don't. <laughs> I've never met a man, never met a woman. You couldn't find something good to say about them. But it does need to be sincere. It's not just you know saying things that they know you don't mean. You have to be sincere in what you're expressing. And do you find if somebody is, let's say there's that level, right, where you just, you're so far apart, but as they start to find the nice things to say, does that kind of tend to grow on itself so that they they tend to start to appreciate that person more and it comes more easily? It does. I, I had a man who said to me, Dr. Chapman, I know my wife's love language is words of affirmation. I can't do that. He said, I never received words growing up. And I just don't know how to say those things. I said, well, uh, is there anything you really appreciate about your wife? And he thought a few minutes <laughs> or seconds. And he said, well, she's a good cook and she's a good mother. And she's a good school teacher. I wrote them down and I wrote sentences out beside each one of those. I said, here's your assignment. You take these sentences I've written out and this week, twice a day, you stand in front of a mirror by yourself and read these out loud so you hear yourself saying these things. He said, is that all? I said, that's all this week. <laughs> he came back. I said, can you say them without looking at your notes? <laughs> and he did. He stumbled, but he, he did. I said, now here's your assignment. The next three weeks, you take one of these each week, and just somewhere during the week, you just walk up to her and say these things. Just one a week, and then I'll see you in three weeks. He came back, and I said, how'd it go? He said, I did it, Dr. Chapman. I did it, I did it, I did it. (laughs) I said, how'd she respond? He said, well, the last week, the third week, she said, what's going on with you? (laughs) I have never heard you give me so many compliments. He said, well, honey, I'm just trying to learn how to express to you how much I love you. And she said, that is so sweet. I love you. He said, Dr. Chapman, she hadn't said that in a long time. Wow. (laughs) It's powerful, and especially powerful if words is her primary love language. So the good news is you can learn to speak words of affirmation even if you did not receive them growing up. You can learn it as an adult when you understand how important it is. So it's like anything else. You may it may not come naturally, but though you gotta work at it. Yeah. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. The more it becomes natural for you after a while. And boy, I tell you what, if you're not saying it to your wife enough, you certainly need to be saying it to your kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I wrote a special book for parents of children, five love language of children, and another one, five love language of teenagers. 
man, if teenagers don't feel loved, they're going to misbehave. You know, a lot of the misbehavior of teenagers. I, I would just out. say they're going to misbehave and forget <laughs> them. <laughs> <laughs> they may misbehave even if they feel loved, but it'll be more severe if they don't feel loved. Because they'll go looking for love. That's right. That's right. The abortion clinics are full of uh, young girls who didn't feel loved. Yeah, absolutely. What's the second one, or a second one, I should say? Uh, acts of service. Doing things for the other person that you know they would like for you to do. That's what the gentleman I talked about was speaking. He was speaking acts of service. He was doing all those things for her. You know, if they ask you to do something, you know, and you do it, they appreciate that. Well, you know, so it's doing things. You know the old saying, actions speak louder than words. If this is their love language, actions will speak louder than words. It's not true for everyone, mm. but it's true if this is their love language, the actions will speak louder than words. You know, when I got married, I didn't know anything about love languages. But I, and I wouldn't have said, called it a love language, but I knew that if people gave me verbal affirmation, I felt affirmed. So what did I do? By nature, I gave my wife words of affirmation. You know, I told her how nice she looked, how much I appreciated what she did. I probably told her a dozen times a day, I love you, honey. I am so glad I married you. I love you, love you, love you. And one night, I don't know, a few weeks into our marriage, she said, you know, you keep on saying I love you. If you love me, why don't you help me? And I was blown out of the saddle because I was loving her. But in her mind, if I loved her, I would be helping her. I was in graduate school and I was working part time. And I figured she, she does the stuff at the house. You know, it's what, what my mama did. <laughs> and so I started asking, well, what, what, how can I help you? you know, and she began to give me some ideas on how I could help her. I started doing some of those things. And then she felt loved. So I stumbled upon that, you know, but uh, because by nature, we speak our own language. But uh, for some people, acts of service is their primary language. And if you're not doing anything to help them, you can give them words all the time and it will be like water off a duck's back. It will not connect with them. You know, my wife is that. And uh, I learned early on, you know, she has her certain things. And one of them is she cannot stand to wake up to a dirty kitchen. And so... Man, I just stumble upstairs from watching college football at 11 o'clock at night. And she'd be in bed and clean the kitchen. And I tell you, I mean, the next day she would just be elated. Yeah. I learned early on, and, and I wish I'd known, if I'd had your book, I'd have known it <laughs> earlier. But it, it's, it's, for her, it's all just about the fact that I thought of her. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's not, if I brought her car in to get the oil changed, that's not an act of service. That's just my job. Okay. You know, yeah. Yeah. but, but to, to see something, to, to notice, there's something going on for her. And it's not always a job necessarily. Sometimes it's just noticing that she had a traumatic phone call and sitting down and put my arms around her. Yeah. It, yeah. it just, you noticed me. You, you took that time to, to not be in yourself and to put me first. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's why before I left home this morning, I got up early because I flew out to Colorado Springs. Last thing I did was take the trash out. Put it outside. Really? Because I knew she'd come in there and look at that empty <laughs> trash bin. She'd say, oh, man, what a husband. <laughs> a little thing, but it communicates loudly to her because that's her language. Isn't that key? Yeah. So it's it's not just acts of service, but it's knowing the things that matter to them necessarily. Which right? which acts of service are most meaningful to them? Yeah. Yeah. I had a, way, a, life, a wife say to me, she said, Dr. Chapman, my husband and I have the same love language. I said, really? I said, what is it? She said, acts of service. She said, but 
The things I want him to do for me that make me feel loved are different from the things he wants me to do for him to make him feel loved. Same language, just different dialects. So most of the time, husbands and wives do not have the same love language. But if they do, they'll have different dialects, different things within that language that make them feel loved. Uh, Third one, gifts. It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. The gift says, he was thinking about me. Look, look, Look what he got from me. The gift doesn't have to be expensive. Haven't we always said it's the thought that counts? But I remind you, it's not the thought left in your head that counts. It's the gift that came out of the thought in your head. Right, right. <laughs> Some guys say, I thought about it. Yeah, okay, you thought about it, but it, it, it doesn't count. It's the gift Intentions that Intentions without actions are worthless. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can even get free gifts. I've said to husbands, in the spring and summer, at least in many places, you can get free flowers. Just go out in your yard and pick one. That's what your kids do. Almost every mother has received a dandelion from their kids. And I say to guys, I'm not suggesting dandelions. But if you don't have flowers in your backyard, check out your neighbor's yard. Ask them. Don't steal them. (laughs) They'll give you one. (laughs) I was talking to a husband just recently, and he said, I was walking one morning, and I saw a bird feather, and I picked it up, took it home to my wife. I knew her language was gifts, and I said to her, Honey, as I was walking, I saw this feather, and I thought of you, because you are the wind beneath my wings, and I want you to have this as a symbol of my love. Woo! He got an A+. Wow. (laughs) A gift that costs nothing, along with words of affirmation. So he tied those two together, but it was the fact that he thought about her when he was walking, and he saw that and brought it home and gave it to her. So, again, it's not that you have to buy expensive gifts for these people. It's that you were thinking about them. If there's a special candy bar they like, you were in the store, you bought them one. You know, it's it just little things that, uh, that speak to them. You find out what – and if, if this is her language, I'd say keep a record. If you hear her say something when you're watching TV, she says, I'd like to have one of those. Write it down. You know, she's telling you, you know. Or, you know, she tells you what some other uh, husband gave his wife or something that the, the other like, wife went out and bought, you know, and she tells you about it. She says, I've never even heard about that, but it sounds really interesting. Write it down and go get it, you know. <laughs> she gives you clues. It goes to show you the importance of – one of the things I talk to men about all the time is don't let anybody put their haircut on you. Because, you know, in religion and legalism – it's people running around pointing fingers saying, you must be like me. I, yeah. You know, I, don't be like Jesus, be like me, yeah. right? Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking about if I walk home with a feather for my wife and said, you're the wind beneath my wing, she said, that's great. Can you vacuum the stairs? And, <laughs> so, and put that feather in the trash can. <laughs> so, so there's a bigger message here. It's not just about specifically what you're saying. It's about the fact that we're all individuals pursuing Christ in our own way, and we need to learn – to not try to make people into disciples of us, but learn to make people as disciples of Jesus. I used to struggle all the time. I tell this all the time about how many Christians told me, you have to wake up early in the morning to read your Bible because God should get the first of your day. God does not want the first of my day because the first of my day is me staring at the wall, drinking coffee, trying to wake up. (laughs) But I love to read God's Word every night. I love to sit by the fire and listen to music and just immerse myself in the Bible, I find I can't get enough of it. 
But man, trying to pray at, at six in the morning yeah. uh, ain't working. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's okay. I mean, I want people to hear this, not just for this message, but across the broad spiritual spectrum of be who you are, know who you are, and know who your wife is yeah. so you can serve her. That's the key is learning the other person and knowing what really communicates to them that you love them. Okay, so now we get to number four. Number four. Yep. Quality time. Giving them your undivided attention. I do not mean sitting on the couch watching television. Someone else has your attention. I'm talking about sitting down with the TV off, the computer down, not answering your phone, looking at each other and talking and listening to each other. Quality conversation. At least that's one of the dialects of this. It doesn't always mean you're sitting down and talking. You can be taking a walk together and talking. You can go out to eat, assuming that you talk. We've all seen couples in the restaurant. They both got their phones out, looking down at the screen, <laughs> not talking to each other. Now, I'm not, it's okay. I know sometimes you're looking up something you want to show them. That's all right. I understand <laughs> that. <laughs> And it's not always talking to each other. Sometimes it's actually doing things together. Maybe she wants to plant a little flower garden outside, and you say, well, let me, let me do that with you. I just like to spend some time with you. And the important thing is not the flower garden. The important thing is you want to spend time with her. Or uh, uh, maybe she likes for you to go shopping with her. I hope that wouldn't be true, but maybe she, maybe she does. <laughs> and if so, you, you can say, honey, the next time you go shopping, I want to go with you because I, I, I just want to be with you. Yeah, so you're not you're not talking a lot in that process. It's just that you're doing something that she enjoys doing, and she enjoys having you with her. See, the lady that said to me early on, "We don't ever talk." She didn't mean that they didn't talk about logistics, who's going to pick up Junior at school, and where you want to eat tonight. She didn't mean that. She meant we don't ever sit down and have a conversation. You know, he's always doing stuff, but we don't ever sit down and talk. Quality time was her language. And for some people, this is what makes them feel loved. And if you don't ever have any sit-down times together, for these people, a daily time is ideal. It doesn't have to be long. It could be 15 minutes. We talked about a daily time with God, whether it's morning or night. A daily time with your spouse. And this person especially is going to be powerful for them. And obviously, you have to find out what's the best time for them, what fits into your schedule, that sort of thing. But Looking them in the eye and talking with them and listening to them really speaks to these people if quality time is their language. And you talk uh, a lot about listening without giving solutions, yeah. which is, of course, the dilemma of so many men in broken marriages. Yeah. Tell, Just talk a little bit about empathizing without trying to solve all the world's problems. Yeah. You know, empathy means that you try, as they're talking, you try to put yourself in their shoes and look at the world through their eyes. So if she's sharing with you a problem she's having at work with someone, you're getting look, trying to look at it from her perspective, trying to hear not only what she's saying, but what she's feeling. And you can ask questions. Honey, it sounds to me like you're saying you feel really disappointed or you feel really hurt. Well, she says, yeah, it is hurt, and it's part of its anger, too. And she so explains that, you know, and you're trying to hear where she's coming from. And then you say to her, you know, I can see how you'd be angry about that. If I were in your shoes, I'd probably feel just like you feel. And you would if you were in her shoes. You had her personality and you had her interpretation of things. You'd feel the same way. So rather than saying to her, well, let me tell you, why don't you try this? 
Right. <laughs> what she wants to hear is, is that you are hearing her and you're identifying with her and you're not preaching to her that she shouldn't feel that way or she shouldn't have those thoughts, but you're expressing the fact that you can see how she would feel that way. And you kind of you, you, you think you understand what she's saying. And it makes sense. So being understood is really important. It's important to anyone, but it's especially important to people if quality time is their language. Now, I've got an extreme example of that. When my wife and I were newlyweds, I was a Los Angeles policeman, and I was working in South Central L.A., which is Watts Compton. And I average take over two felony arrests per day, over one gun off the street per day. So every day was high-speed pursuits, robbery, uh, shootings, murder, dead bodies, blood. Every day was just incredibly intense. And so my wife managed a jewelry store in Irvine. Mm. And uh, and I remember her jewelry store got burglarized that night. So she goes in the next day, and she was telling me when I get home from work about the this oh, you know there were bad guys in my store and they took stuff and it was very tra- traumatic for me. Which I'm thinking, really, you know, as a <laughs> yeah. I just got done, you know, holding some girl while she's dying. Yeah. this is like what burglar big deal, you know. But God thankfully gave me the wisdom to go to her. That was a really big deal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think me as men, we can get so locked into our own perspective, especially wrapped around machismo. Well, let me tell you, if you thought that was bad, you should have seen what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Man, sometimes just sitting there and looking in her eyes and connecting and just being present, especially. And I I get that. That whole quality time thing is my deal. So Yeah. Okay. So we've got the four down. Number five is physical touch. We've long known the emotional power of physical touch. That's why we pick up babies, hold them, kiss them, cuddle them. Long before the baby understands the meaning of the word love, the baby feels love by physical touch. Now, in a marriage, I'm talking about such things as holding hands, kissing, embracing, the whole sexual part of marriage, arm around the shoulder, driving down the road, you put your hand on their leg, sitting around the house and they walk by and you trip them. <laughs> I'm kidding on the last one. Don't don't trip her. Don't trip her. <laughs> and for some people, this is their language, physical touch. Now, I want to be quick to say, don't equate physical touch with sexual intercourse. Because many guys will hear these five and they say, oh, I know my love language, yeah, physical touch. Right. And they're talking about the sexual part of the marriage. And I say, okay, well, maybe it is your language. But let me ask you, do non-sexual touches make you feel loved? And first of all, they look at me like a deer in the headlights. You know, are there non-sexual touches? You know? yeah. <laughs> I said, well, let's say that the two of you get out of the car. You're walking into a shopping mall. And as you walk into the small, to the mall, she reaches out and holds your hand. Does that make you feel loved? And if he said, mm, that kind of irritates me. <laughs> I said, well, let's say that she is pouring a cup of coffee for you, and she puts her hand on your other hand on your shoulder. Does that make you feel loved? And if he said, mm, not really. I said, physical touch is not your love language. Yeah. You like the sexual part of marriage, but it's not your love language, okay? So don't assume that all men have physical touch as their language, because that's not true. The sexual part of marriage is extremely important in a marriage for both the husband and the wife, but... I just like to clarify, not not to think that all men have physical touch as their primary language. Have you seen, you know, since the Me Too movement? You know, I've run companies now for a long time, been the CEO. I don't touch anybody ever. Yeah, um, and that that goes back twenty years because I've learned just there's no when you're the boss, you just no. I don't tell anybody they look good. 
uh, they get no words of affirmation from me and no touch from me. <laughs> <laughs> but has it's now at such a forefront of the issue. I remember reading an article last year that was awful where Samba group, godless group, was saying, you know, don't hug your nieces around the holidays anymore because they can take it wrong. It was like, are you kidding me? We're not hugging children now. But for those people who in, who like physical t- touch, who like being hugged, are we seeing a really – is it harder for them now because men are just not touching like they yeah. used to because they don't want to be misinterpreted? Yeah, yeah. I think it is more difficult. You know, some time ago I wrote – we took the love languages to work. And I wrote a book with Dr. Paul White, who's a Christian psychologist who's worked 20 years in business. And it's called The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. But every time we would get to physical touch, the HR people would say, whoa, we don't touch at work. We don't touch at work. (laughs) How sad is that? (laughs) And uh, Dr. White said to me, Gary, maybe we should just take it out, you know. And I said, Dr. White, you remember my academic background? Because I did an undergrad and a master's in cultural anthropology before I studied counseling. Mm. There are no human cultures where people do not touch. Humans touch. There are appropriate touches and inappropriate touches, to be sure. And we've heard a lot about that, as you just just said. So what we ended up saying was in the book, uh, if you see a coworker who is giving high fives to somebody, it's okay to give a high five to them. But if you don't ever see them, giving a high five or patting somebody on the shoulder. Don't ever, don't ever touch them. Or if you ever touch them on the shoulder, they stiffen up. Don't ever touch them again. Mm. But what we did find that it's in the workplace, and maybe that's because of the culture now, but in the workplace, almost no one had physical touch as their primary appreciation language at work. So in our inventory for that, we left it out. But we do talk about it in the book. But you're right. I think it's, I think men, I say to, I say to fathers, for example, Please don't draw back from hugging your teenage daughter because many, many fathers are drawing back because they've heard so much about sexual abuse, you know. I said, because if you don't hug her and kiss her on the cheek, she'll find an 18-year-old boy who will. Mm. So don't draw back from her, and especially if that's her primary love language. I mean, she needs a hug from her father whether that's her language or not. So don't, don't allow you know, what's going on and people are misusing physical touch. Don't allow that to keep you from appropriate physical touch in your family relationships. So of these five, um, are they usually obvious to somebody or do some people have to sort of wonder? And if they do, how do they figure out which one is theirs? Well, there's three informal ways to do that. You can also go online and take a free quiz for married couples at fivelovelanguages.com. In fact, they told me the other day that 50 million people have taken that quiz. Five is spelled out, F-I-V. No, the number, the number five. The number five. The number five, lovelanguages.com. Love okay. There's a free quiz for married couples. There's a quiz for single adults. There's a quiz for teenagers. And there's a quiz, a little game you play with children. But here are three informal ways that you can pretty well de- uh, de- determine a person's love language. First of all, observe their behavior. How do they respond to you and other people? If they're always giving other people words of affirmation, you can pretty well assume that's probably their language. They're speaking their own language. If they're always doing things for people, and, you know, they're people that they're just doers, you know. If they're always doing things for people, that's probably what they want. See, they're speaking their own language. If they're the kind of person that likes to have an hour and a half at lunch just sitting down with a friend and just talking for an hour and a half, quality time is probably their language. 
Actually, in children, you can discover their love language by the time they're four years old by observing their behavior. When my son was that age, I'd come home in the afternoon. He'd run to the door, grab my legs, and climb on me. He's touching me because he wants to be touched. Mm. Our daughter never did that. At that age, she would say, Daddy, come into my room. I want to show you something. She wanted quality time. They're grown. It's still their love language. But it was there early on. So observe their behavior. Secondly, what do they complain about most often? The complaint reveals the love language. If your wife says to you, I just feel like we don't ever have any time together anymore. We're just like two ships passing in the night. She's telling you that quality time is her love language. If you go on a business trip and come home and she says, you didn't bring me anything? (laughs) She's telling you that gifts is her love language. Mm. So what do they complain about? The complaint reveals the love language. You see, we tend to get irritated and defensive if if our wife complains. But she's really giving you valuable information. Her complaint is telling you her love language. And then the third is, what do they request most often? If, for example, they're saying to you rather regularly, honey, can we take a walk after dinner tonight? They're asking you for quality time. Or if you get ready to go on a business trip and they say, be sure and bring me a surprise. (laughs) They're telling you (laughs) that gifts is their language. If you put those three together, you can pretty well figure out your wife's love language or really anyone else's love language in the family. Those those three ways, informal. And one of the things that we want to do on this show is to provide information, aha moments for people that they might not have had. And one of the things that's going on right now is a lot of people have lost their jobs or a lot of people have recently retired, but they still want to do something really relevant for the kingdom of God that's really helpful. And that's why I'm really proud to announce that our partnership with Bethel Tech at BethelTech.net. Bethel Tech trains on how to do high-tech stuff like UI, UX design, full-stack development, data science. Even during the 2020 pandemic year, 80% of Bethel Tech students were hired within 120 days of graduating. The average starting salary for a junior developer is $65,000 a year. That is significantly higher than people who are graduating with a four-year degree. It's awesome. It's a nine-month program. You can do it from your own home. Go to BethelTech.net and look into it, guys. I think this is a great opportunity. We're talking to uh, Dr. Gary Chapman about the five love languages, and it's turned into a whole bunch of books. It's one of the best-selling books in Christendom ever, and thank God, because it's been amazing. You know, but I did, it's funny, I had a, a talk with my teenage son. Uh, we got to the point where he said to me one day, I just, I just feel like you don't love me as much as my brother. I, why, why in the world would you think that? Well, we just don't do anything together. And I said to him, Coleman, I ask you to go out to dinner with me every week. I ask you to go skiing constantly, and you're always having reasons why you can't what did exactly did you think I was doing and how are we going to spend time together if your answer is always no? The reason we're not spending time together is you, son, not me. And I saw him kind of think for a minute and our relationship completely changed after that. Mm. He realized he was the reason, mm. but I was listening. Why, what, in what way were we supposed to do anything? Because I've been scratching my brain for two years on exactly how are we going to spend time together. But it is interesting if we stop and listen to complaints because what you're saying is our wives are really telling us how to love them better. Yeah, They're absolutely. not really complaining. Absolutely, yeah. 
See, if a wife says, I feel like, I feel like we don't spend any time together, the husband's natural response is, what do you mean? We went to dinner Thursday night. What are you talking about? So he's been defensive. He's coming back and, right. and, and being defensive. But if she's saying that, that's how she feels. Well, tell me about it, honey. And then, and then she'll start telling you, well, we haven't done that. We haven't done, we haven't done, we haven't done, we haven't done. Now you've got to picture what she means that we don't ever spend time together. Now, some men are listening to this from a different perspective. They're saying, well, I've got a list of complaints about my wife. And you have a great thing that you talk about, which is there are requests and there are demands. Yeah. What's the difference and how does a man communicate to his wife if he feels like he's not being loved the way he wants? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I suggest to couples is that if both of you can agree to this, what if this week you tell me one thing I could do differently that would make life better for you? And next week, then I'll tell you one thing that could make life better for me. If you, if you agree on the concept, now you've got a platform on which to do that. See, most of the time we don't, we don't have a platform. We just hold these things inside, and, and one day then we explode and, and say, da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. Okay, now we shoot them and they shoot us back, and now we're into an argument. Because most couples don't have a plan. They don't have a, they don't have a place and a time where they can do that. But if you do that for six months, you'll be hooked on it. And you may not do it every week. Uh, you know, after a little while, you might do it once every three weeks or once a month. But in the beginning stages, once a week, I think is good because that just means every other week I'm going to ask you, tell me something I could do or stop doing that would make life me- uh, more meaningful for you or easier for you. And, and their answers, you just write down the answers and they're going to fall into a category. They won't all be in their primary language, but many of them will be in their primary language. You know, it's interesting. I, I was telling you that I didn't know what mine was because I've had the the junior armchair psychologist, you know, give me the five love languages and massively misinterpret them. And I'm sure that's very frustrating for you. I didn't know which one I was. And I'd asked my wife and she didn't really know either. And then as I read your book, I realized, hmm, clearly I'm a, a, a quality time person. But I realized it because of what irritates me, not because of what benefits me. And I thought, you know, we have such a close marriage. She and I are best friends. Every one of my needs is met. So it's sort of like, I don't really know because she's my best friend and everything's going great. So I started thinking, well, does it bother me if she doesn't buy me gifts? No. You know, does it bother me if she doesn't compliment me? No. But what bothers me, I realize, is if we're driving from point A to point B for half an hour and she's on her phone texting the whole time, that drives me nuts. Yeah. There's no reason for it to drive me nuts, I used to think. I would be happy just listening to Pink Floyd on the uh, you know iPod. <laughs> but then I realized it's because for me, that was a quality time of us being together and she was clearly focusing her attention somewhere else. Somewhere else. Yeah. And that's kind of what keyed in for me. So maybe it just goes to show you how immature I am. I had to go with what bugs me yeah. to figure out what's my love language. Yeah, but that's a clue. See, what, what hurts you and what bugs you is a clue to what your love language is. Yeah. Okay, so lots of guys have made a mess of all this. And their marriages aren't good. And they're hearing this and hopefully having some serious aha moments, things their wives have said to them. Sometimes there's been hurt because of maybe a misunderstanding of how she felt loved. And now a guy's thinking, how is he going to deal with this? And, of course, as we start off by saying, I'm sorry is a really good way to start off just about everything. Let's unpack that. Could you talk about different ways to say I'm sorry, ways to be authentic and real? 
help a guy out who just, he's never done that. He doesn't know how to say sorry to his wife or his kids, by the way. It's so important to say, I'm sorry to your kids sometimes. Yeah. Well, we discovered that about 10% of the population almost never apologizes for anything. And most of them are men. Now, are they just narcissists or are they immature or why? Most of them learned it from their fathers who said to them, real men don't apologize. Really? Or they simply never heard their father apologize. And I say to those men when they say that to me, your dad was probably a good man, but he had bad information. Real men do apologize. In fact, you will not have a long-term healthy marriage if you don't learn to apologize. And I say, I say that because none of us are perfect. Now, one man did raise his hand when the speaker said, does anyone know of a perfect husband? He shot his hand right up. <laughs> he said, my wife's first husband. <laughs> well, my observation is if there are any perfect husbands, they are deceased. And most of them got perfect after they died. Mm -hmm. They're no perfect husband. You don't have to be perfect to have a good marriage, but you do have to deal effectively with your failures. And that means learning to apologize and the other person has to choose to forgive you. And when that happens, then the marriage can go forward. But what we did discover, because we asked thousands of people all over the country two questions. When you apologize, what do you typically say or do? Second question. When someone apologizes to you, what do you want to hear them say or do? Their answers fell into five categories. I promise you, Ken, we were not looking for five. <laughs> I like five. <laughs> I like five. <laughs> but, and we call them the five languages of, apo of apology. And uh, the book is entitled, When Sorry Isn't Enough. Because, see, many men, that's all they know to say. We typically learned to apologize from our parents. Little Johnny pushes his sister, and his mother says, Johnny, don't push sister. Go tell her you're sorry. So little Johnny says, i sorry, even if he's not. Right. <laughs> he's 25 now. He's married. If he offends his wife, what's he going to say? I'm sorry. But you see, she had different parents, and they probably taught her something else. She has a different idea about what a sincere apology looks like. And what we're asking in our mind if someone is apologizing is, are they sincere? But we judge sincerity by what they say because we have an idea in our mind as to what a sincere apology ought to be like. So just briefly, the, the, the languages of apology are, one is expressing regret, often with the words, I'm sorry. But don't ever use those two words alone. Tell them what you're sorry for. I'm sorry that I lost my temper and yelled at you. If you simply say, I'm sorry, they may well be thinking you certainly are. Is there anything else you want to say? You think you're apologizing. They think you're giving a character report. Tell them what you're sorry for and don't ever use the word but. Or, it, or if. <laughs> if I offended you. If I offended you. That's not an apology. <laughs> but if you say, I'm sorry I lost my temper and yelled at you, but if you had not, then I would not. Now you're blaming them for your behavior. So erase the buts. So expressing regret. Second one is accepting responsibility. I was wrong. Should not have done that. No excuse for that. Now, some men have trouble saying the words, I was wrong. In fact, I've had men say to me, well, Gary, how can I say I was wrong if I don't think I was wrong? Mm -hmm. And I say, don't get bent out of shape about whether it was morally wrong or not. If it hurt your spouse in that sense, it was wrong. So accept responsibility. For example, 
uh, I'd gone, I was speaking somewhere for two or three days, and I came home. My wife had had a chair reupholstered. And I was sitting in the chair, and she walked in and said, Honey, how do you like the new cover? And without thinking, I said, Well, honey, I like it, but to be honest, I like the old cover better. And she broke into tears. And she said, I can't believe you don't like it. I spent two months going all over town trying to find material. Now you don't like it. Now, folks, what I said was not morally wrong. It was stupid. <laughs> I didn't think before I spoke. So don't don't get hung up. Well, I wasn't morally wrong. If it hurt the relationship, accept responsibility. So, I'll, I'll, so even the guy that wrote the book on all this can screw up. Absolutely. That's good to know. It gives the rest of us hope. <laughs> most, of, most of what I've learned, I've learned by messing up. <laughs> and then uh, offering to make restitution. What can I do to make this up to you? Or how can I make this right? Uh, for example... Uh, I know I know you guys would never do this, but let's say you forget your anniversary, okay? No flowers, no candy, no dinner, nothing. And you look over on the couch that night, and she's crying. And you say, honey, what's wrong? And she said, I can't believe you don't know what's wrong. <laughs> I doubt that I'm sorry is going to hack it. But if you say, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I, I thought about it on Monday. I was going to make reservations. And I, I, oh, honey, I have blown it this time big time. But, 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 but look, honey, I know we can't do anything tonight, but let me make it up to you. We can still celebrate, honey. Let, let's really celebrate. What would you like to do? She'll have an idea. little trip to Hawaii. It, uh, you still have an idea. <laughs> it got way more expensive, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but offering to make restitution. And for some people, if you don't offer to make things right or ask that question, in their mind, you're not really sincere. And then uh, number four, which oftentimes I forget number four. <laughs> Uh, it is expressing the desire to change your behavior. Mm, The biblical word's repentance. Then when you repent, you turn away from your wrongdoing and you turn to Christ and you follow him. Well, this is is similar to that. What you're saying is, I don't like what I did. And I know I did it last month. And I don't want to keep doing this. Can we get a plan so I won't do this again? And I was sharing this with a lady, and she said, I can give you an example of that. She said, several years ago, when the baby was little, my husband was looking after the baby, and I was doing some other stuff in the house. She said, the baby was crying. He did everything he could to get the baby to stop crying. And then he lost his temper. And he picked up our baby and started shaking our baby. And when he did, I grabbed the baby and said, don't do that to our baby. And I ran into the bedroom just sobbing. She said in 10 or 15 minutes, he knocked on the door and asked me if he could come in. And when he walked in, he started crying. And he said, honey, I can't believe I did that. You know I love our baby. I don't ever want to do that again. Can you help me? Can we get a plan so I won't do that again? She said, Gary, I sensed he was so sincere that I forgave him, even though what he did was horrible. She said, we sat there and talked and came up with a simple plan that if he ever felt himself about to lose his temper with one of our children, he would simply say to me, Honey, I'm hot. i got to take a walk. And I would know what that meant. And he'd take a walk and I'd take over. And then he would come back when he'd come 30 minutes. He didn't walk all night. He came back, okay, (laughs) and said, Okay, honey, I think I'm under control. What can I do to plug back in? And he'd plug back into the night. She said, Gary, that was eight years ago. He's never lost his temper with one of our children since. He's taken quite a few walks, but he's never lost his temper. Wow. So for some people, this really communicates that you're sincere. And then the last one is 
requesting forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Or I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. And I have to be honest, this one was never on my radar. I mean, I thought if I'm apologizing in any manner, wouldn't you know I want to be forgiven? Why would I be apologizing? But for some people, they, they're they waiting for you to say, will you forgive me? Or I hope you will forgive me. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that that's also one. So those are the five ways to apologize. And what I'd suggest to the guys is that you discuss this with your spouse. And the two of you might won't even read the book because I'll guarantee you, your wife, is, your wife has never probably thought of this because most people have never thought of what I've just described. And that's why we wrote the book, When Sorry Isn't Enough. And, and then discuss, you know, what, what do you consider to be a sincere apology? And you, you'll likely find out that she has one idea and you have another idea. And now you get on the same page and now you know how to apologize when you need to apologize. Now, apology alone never restores a relationship. There has to be a response to an apology. And that's where forgiveness comes in. And the biblical response is we forgive as God forgives us, Ephesians 4.32. So how does God forgive us? When we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. So when your spouse apologizes, we do what Jesus did. We forgive them. And now we remove the barrier, and now the relationship can go forward. So apologizing and forgiving are essential if we're going to have long-term healthy marriages. So our God, he's not male. He's, he's God. He's the creator of all things. But he says, my relationship to you is as a father to a child for each one of us. For every person who's confessed to their sins, believes in him, and received the Holy Spirit, he is their father. How does the love language thing affect how we relate to God the Father? Because we see people, I talked earlier about haircuts, they all want to put their relationship with the Father on somebody else and say, yours must be like this. I got to imagine that you've, th- you've thought about this love language thing and how it is it relates to how our relationship with our Heavenly Father. I actually wrote a whole book on that. Oh, jeez, I should have known that. <laughs> <laughs> it's called God Speaks Your Love Language. And I do three things in that book. First of all, I just went through the whole Bible and discovered God speaks all five languages fluently. Okay. Should have known that. I'm, I'm looking forward to you explaining touch to me on that one. <laughs> uh, I will. So first of all, I looked at people's initial response to God, their conver- what we call their conversion experience. And we know people have very different conversion experiences. And I believe I use the scriptures, I use church history, and I use contemporary uh, people to show that people have different conversion experiences. Saul on the road to Damascus, for example, had a it was physical. I mean, he fell to the ground. He saw the light. His eyes were blinded. Okay, God well, that touched touch his from body. God was a slap. <laughs> You're right. But Old Testament, there was Jacob. He wrestled with the angel, and he, his hip was out of place. He, he walked with a limp the next day. So God touches people physically, and some people have a dramatic conversion experience that is physical. They say, I was sitting there in a, in a, in a service, and I heard this about Jesus, and, and my body started shaking, and I started weeping, and, and I, I, God just put his arms around me. Not everybody has that kind of experience. Quality time people, for example are far more likely to come to Christ over a period of time. They start reading the Bible. They start reading Christian books. And one day in a quiet place, they say, oh, God, I believe. And they give their heart to God. So, you know, I said earlier that I love to read Scripture at night with the Lord, and I'm a quality time person. So is that sort of 
Somebody else shouldn't beat themselves up and go, go, gosh, I don't like to spend two hours in the Bible every night. Yeah, Maybe Absolutely. that quality time thing, the way I relate, yeah. has something to do with that. Absolutely. George Mueller. Yes. If he didn't spend three hours alone with God every day, he felt like I was distant from God. He was a quality time person. And so I look at conversion experiences, and this is why we should never judge someone else's conversion experience. And so you, you, you hadn't got it because you didn't have the experience I had. And then I looked at how do we express our love to God after we become believers and after we become God's children? How do we express our love to God? Well, often it's in our love language. If it's words of affirmation, we will give God affirming words. Martin Luther, how did he come to Christ? He was trying hard to keep all the laws and all the rules, and finally he read in Romans, the just shall live by faith. And he said, paradise broke in my soul. It was the word that gripped his heart. What did he do with his life? He poured out his life in words. He wrote sermons. He wrote hymns. He wrote the 95 Theses. He wrote, he wrote, he wrote. Some words better than others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. <laughs> you're right. So words of affirmation people tend to, to give God verbal words. Mm. And whether it's written or spoken or sung, you know, that's where they, they're loving God. Acts of service people, they're the first to volunteer to work in the soup kitchen. Just tell me something I can go do. Now, but see, the tendency is, again— we judge the other people because they don't do what we do. That's interesting. See, an acts of service person will say, if you love God, you get out here and do something, and not just praise God, you know, praise God, praise God. You get out here and do something. So we tend to judge each other, and, and there's no place for that because we're all different. So those, uh, those two are the really two issues that we dealt with in that book is, is how we come to Christ and then how we express our love to Christ. Well, this might be a tough question. I don't know, but it seems like you've written a book on everything else. So. <laughs> do you have a biblical example of each of the five love languages? I do. In the book, I give them. I don't know if I can recall them off the top of my head. It's, I know. It's, people ask me in interviews, like, what are the seven promises of a promise keeper, which I know, <laughs> and then I can't recall them. I'm like, oh, geez, I look like a complete bonehead. I do know that I would say Paul was physical touch. Okay. You know, I would say... Uh, Let's see what well, acts, acts of on service. On the cross, Jesus did the greatest act of service that was ever done to anyone. And and for some people— Maybe Martha. Yeah, yeah. Mar- Martha was doing acts of service. Uh, Mary was quality time. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and Mar- while Martha was in there doing the acts of yeah. service, you know. Physical touch. Jesus touched the blind man and changed his life forever. And Jesus also touched the children. Of course, that was not a conversion experience, but he touched and blessed the children. So, yeah, I think, I think as you read the Bible with this in the back of your mind, you do see examples of that throughout the Scripture and, and throughout church history for that matter as well. Yeah, you think about King David and how he was so emotional and so uh, big on ex- expressing himself, you know. Yeah. I have never danced naked around something, so <laughs> I think he's a little more expressive than I am. <laughs> Oh. Well, okay. So, uh, and, and I warned you before we started that I, I like to close a lot of these with the salvation message because I was raised Baptist and I can't help myself. <laughs> Every one of these, we want, I don't want this to be a podcast for the sake of a podcast. I want men to be able to listen to these and go, man, I, I had aha moments. I learned something from that. And today, this has been amazing. How does someone listening to this right now, so, somebody's wife handed in this podcast, Somebody's friend said, hey, you got to hear this, but he doesn't know Christ. Yeah. How does he come to know Jesus? Well, what I've given is information on how to communicate love to your spouse in a meaningful way. I haven't given you motivation. Motivation, I believe, or at least from my experience, 
comes from a relationship with God. I had a man say to me, Dr. Chapman, I, my wife took the quiz and she says her love language is acts of service. But I'll tell you right now, if it's going to take my washing dishes and my vacuuming floor, she can forget that. Wow. That's the way we are by nature. All of us are self-centered. We're selfish. We want to do only the things we want to do. But when a man or a woman has an encounter with God and comes to understand what God did for them on the cross, he paid the full penalty for all of our wrongdoing. See, God is holy. We can't even be in God's presence as sinners. But Christ paid the penalty for us. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. He paid the penalty. So God can forgive us if we put our faith in what Christ did for us. And the words aren't important, but essentially we're saying to God, Lord, I've walked my own way. I've lived my own life. I've done what I wanted to do. But I need you. I need to be forgiven of my failures. I need a relationship with you. You open your heart to Christ. You let him come into your life and let him be on the throne of your life. I want to follow you. I want to do your plans for my life. The Bible says the love of God is then poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I'm not by nature a lover. By nature, I'm self-centered and selfish. But when I invited Christ into my life, and it's a daily thing of keeping your heart open to him, you know, and letting him sit on the throne of your life, you want to do these things. And now the information I've given you, you will do it because you want to do it. Because the Bible says we love God because he first loved us. We just reciprocate. We just respond to his love. And, that, and we, that's when we give our lives to Christ and turn, open our hearts to him. Uh, and then <clears throat> that principle applies in human relationships. So even if your wife is not lovely, even if your wife is very harsh and mean and all of that, if, if your life is filled with the, with the Spirit of Christ, you can love her even when she's unlovely. Because the Bible says, God loved us and sent his son to die for us while we were still sinners. We were unlovely, and Christ paid the, gave us the greatest gift of all, the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. So we become, in that sense, like Christ. We're loving our spouse the way Christ loves us. So it's a personal thing, and no one can do it for you. But somewhere along the line, if you become, if you're going to ever have eternal life, this is what the scriptures say, is we have to turn and accept what Christ did for us and put our faith in what he did and invite him to come into our lives and take control. And when we do, everything begins to change. That's good stuff. If there's one of your books that you say, hey, uh, guys listening to this going, I'm not a reader, takes me three months to read a book but I want to know more about this. What's the one book that guy should get of yours? I would say the Five Love Languages men's edition because the original one was just written for couples, but the guys kept saying, give us more help. And it'll give you lots of illustrations and a lot of stories of people who have explored this. And I think by the time you get through it, uh, you're going you're gonna to say, man, this is what I want. This is what I want to do for my wife. And you did in, in that book, by the way, you did both – the love languages, and the apology languages, because you knew men needed to have both of those. <laughs> so guys, go out and get that book, and uh, I, I hope this has been a blessing. This, thank you so much, Gary. This has been awesome. Well, thank you, Ken. Good to be with you. Good to be with the guys who are listening. What an awesome conversation with Dr. Gary Chapman. If you're wondering more about what your style is, your wife's style, your kid's style, go to his website, fivelovelanguages.com. It's the number five, lovelanguages.com. Take the quiz 
Let's find out what we could do to unify our families and serve each other better. Thanks for listening to On the Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.